Hey friends, welcome to this week's episode of the Scripture Study Project, our podcast that gives you a fresh and faithful study of the scriptures that will renew your excitement for your own personal study and help you passionately teach what you are learning to others. And I forgot to say Zach's new and exciting ending. What was fresh it again? And faithful perspective. Oh. That will give you a new study. I don't know. We need to think of something. We new. need to rewrite that one. It's really hard for me once I memorize something to unmemorize it. it. Like when they changed the young women theme. Ooh, that was a hard one said the same thing for a long time, but I think I got it now. Hey, we're dedicating this episode to watering your garden. Here's our story. We have never, for our whole marriage, been able to grow anything significant. Like, we kill everything. (laughs) Even the things that people say you should be able to keep, like, oh, just plant zucchini and squash. You can't go wrong with zucchini and squash. Well, we go wrong with zucchini and squash. So we tried this new thing (laughs) where we actually water our plants. And they're growing, and it's really cool. So we have a garden. But to be honest, I think it's not because we're watering. Like, we we left town for just a couple days, and we didn't water, and we were a little worried. We're getting sprinklers, so we'll get there. But, um, and they had grown without the water. But then also, it's really rainy where we are right now. So I think the rain helped us out there, too. But... Epiphany for us is that watering actually helps watering plants, plants grow. Works. So, we learned something new. There you go. If you didn't learn anything from this episode, then maybe that's what you can learn. <laughs> hey, this is Matthew 27, Mark 15, Luke 23, and John 19. Uh, this is part two of our two-part episode. If you remember last week, uh, we talked about during the sacrament, when you take the water Elder Holland says you think of Christ's spiritual suffering, uh, thinking of him in the garden, thinking of him being alone, being betrayed. Uh, When you take the bread, that broken bread, you think of his physical suffering. So last week we talked all about spiritual suffering and what it does for us. This week we're focusing on that physical suffering. And so this is part two of that two-part episode. Before we dive in, though... um, Part two of our doctrine that we introduced last week, um, the doctrine of the atonement of Jesus Christ. Last week, we talked about it being, according to President Nelson, incomplete, doctrinally incomplete to speak of the atonement um, separate from Jesus Christ. The atonement is the name for the event that enabled Jesus Christ to be our Savior. So we're not saved by the atonement. We're saved by Jesus Christ. He is enabled to save us because of the atonement. But I think one part that maybe gets a little confusing with that, I know we've already discussed this, but is that the atonement is something. Yes. You're referring to yep. the, the the event, event that yes. happened. So you can so save you the can atonement. Say it. We're not saying you can't say that, but just linking those two. Anyway, yeah. I had been, I've been thinking about that this week and thinking, wait, why is it still okay that we, okay, quote unquote, that we say that? Yeah. But anyway, that helped me make sense of that. So the second part of the atonement, when we, when we speak of the atonement in the Church of Jesus Christ, often we focus on the Garden of Gethsemane. However, prophets and apostles have taught consistently that the atonement of Jesus Christ begins in the Garden, but it extends all the way through that evening, through the next morning, through his scourging and his crucifixion on, on uh, Calvary. And yet we don't talk a whole lot about the cross. And so the point we wanted to make this week um, is the power of the cross in our understanding of the Savior's atonement 
uh, and maybe being a little bit more, I don't know, prouder of the cross, being a little bit, taking a little bit more ownership of the cross. Well, I know, Zach, some someone that taught you a lot about this was Gay Strathern. Yes. And I know we have referenced her work. She wrote something on Mary that we referenced mm-hmm. earlier on this year. Um, but she, the word I, I thought of, the reason I'm bringing her up right now is the reclaiming is kind of how she teaches it. And we are going to link um, her her talk that she gave on this, and it's called Christ's Crucifixion, the Reclamation of the Cross. And also, um, she was interviewed by another podcast, LDS Perspectives Podcast, where she dives a little deeper into this article, and I really appreciated both of those things. So those are going to be a great resource just to... Um, understand this a little more something she brought up was also that um it was kind of a cultural shift almost the talking more of gethsemane um and that joseph smith was always talking about the cross Mm -hmm. that was something and then it slowly kind of changed slightly yeah but in her whole thing you can read these articles but she talks a lot about not that we need to start putting crosses up on our churches and Um, changing anything. That's not her place. But I do like this. She says, what I do want to argue is that if we fail to appreciate or if we minimize the importance of the cross and what it stands for, then we ignore a very significant part of our scriptural texts, both in the Bible and in our restoration scriptures, the Book of Mormon and the Doctrine and Covenants. This really kind of drives a wedge between us and some of our friends and other Christian denominations. Um, and I've heard it said this way, and I've probably even been guilty of saying it this way, that, well, they wear a cross, but because we reverence the resurrected Jesus, we don't put crosses on our building and we don't wear, um, we don't wear a cross. And uh, to be fair, President Hink- there is a talk yes, that yes. President Hinckley However, I've spoken with, with, I've spoken with Christians and they very quickly point out to me, no, it's an empty cross. And there's a reason why it's empty. We also, Christianity celebrates the resurrected Christ. And sometimes I think we look at the cross and we try and use that as the difference between us and the rest of the Christian world. When really, it should be the symbol of everything that we have in common. We may differ in some of our ideas on different doctrinal aspects, but when it comes to who we honor and who we worship and why we worship him and why he's the central figure of our faith, that cross means everything to Christians, including us. And so I think we need to make this mental shift. And again, like you said, it's not about putting a cross on our chapels or wearing a cross, but it is. But you can. Yeah, it is about about um, honoring the entire atonement of Jesus Christ, everything that he did, and recognizing that that empty cross is a symbol of Jesus's conquering of death, of his resurrection, and of his ability to give life where it had been taken from him. That's something we should be proud of. That's something that we should own. Um, That's something that that has motivated Christians for centuries, and it's motivated our own our own ancestors, pioneers, etc., and it's something that should motivate us as well. And I think as we're going to be studying today um, about the cross, about the suffering, that this physical suffering that Christ had, we have to remember, and this is another point that um, Sister Strathern brings up, is that without the cross, there is no resurrection. The resurrection is only possible because Christ suffered on the cross. As part of my studies at BYU, um, I read a book about 
Christian history. Um, I've read a couple of books about Christian history, and it's since something I've gone back and studied. Um, and you know, we we honor as we should our pioneer ancestors for what they went through because of their faith. But pioneers, people that suffered because of their faith, did not begin in the 1800s. The story of people giving up things for Christ or because of Christ extends all the way back to the earliest disciples. Um, Historically, I think, well, Christian America separated itself from the early church of Jesus Christ. They, they, they expelled us from, from the United States. And so we separated ourselves. And since then, there was that wedge that kind of grew between us and our other Christian friends. Um, that wedge has disappeared. You listen to the way that prophets and apostles talk about those of other faith today, and it's gone. And the reason why is because they, our church leaders, are focusing on the cross. They're focusing on the atonement of Jesus Christ, on his role as Savior, and that being the unifying thing that unites all Christians worldwide in our universal mission to lift people and to bring joy and to prepare ourselves for eternal life. Um, and so I I feel, we feel really passionate about this. It's something we've talked a lot about and, and hope that, that as you listen to this, that it can maybe erase some of those barriers in your minds and maybe the next time you think of the cross, it can be something that you identify with and something that you claim as your own. All right, we're going to get started with the study. Zach has already mentioned what scriptures we're studying, this kind of these last ending chapters of the Gospels. We are going to be entitling, entitling, titling this episode King for obvious reasons that we're going to be studying in these in these chapters today. Yeah, I think, I don't know if we mentioned this last week or maybe I've just talked enough about it that it sounds like we did. <laughs> uh, I heard a stake president that mentioned that Jesus Christ is more than just a savior. He's also a king. He's a teacher. He's a preacher. And we ex- we can express or, or practice our faith in him as our savior when we cry out to him for help or when we need him to draw upon on his teaching or his atonement to repent and change. But he's more than just a savior, and we can have faith in him in his other roles as well. One of those being him as king. One of the things that comes up repeatedly in this week's study is how many times other people refer to Jesus as king. Pilate asks him, art thou a king then? To which Jesus responds, to this end was I born. Um, the soldiers put a crown of thorns on his head in symbolic mocking of his role as king. Um, When Pilate brings him in front of the people with that crown of thorns on his head and says, behold your king, the people say, we have no king uh, but Caesar. And then my favorite um, is when Pilate puts him up on the cross, uh, the sign over the cross says, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And then verse 21, this is John 19, verse 21. Then said the chief priest of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. This title of king, in most of these situations uh, used in mocking or in anger, um, in this final moment when he's hanging on the cross, there's this incredible irony with here's this mortal man stripped down, beaten, bruised, bloodied, and near death, hanging on a cross, and yet the title over him says, King. 
this is the king. Uh, and that image is so striking to me. I, I learned, uh, I went and visited Goshen with, with um, some friends last year, a year and a half ago. And I didn't know this, but when I went there, they pointed out that those crosses were not hung high in the air. They were on eye level, just barely off the ground. So as people walked by, you were meant to look into the eyes of the people that were being crucified. They weren't and above Goshen, you. Goshen is the place where they film, where they film the, the Bible videos. Bible yeah. videos yeah. Um, and as I thought of that, of, of Jesus being on this cross at my eye level, um, I couldn't help but think of this scripture from the Book of Mormon. This is Jacob chapter 1, where Jacob says, We would persuade all men not to rebel against God or to provoke him to anger, but that all men would believe in Christ and view his death and suffer his cross. What we want to do this episode is this. We have in these chapters a front row seat, if it's not irreverent to use that phrase, to the Savior's final acts as king. Which of those acts, as you're studying on your own, stand out most to you as the acts of a true king? Um, another scripture that came to mind is 3 Nephi 27, 15, where the Savior explains, I am lifted up on the cross so that I might draw all men unto me. In other words, I allowed this to happen so that you would be drawn to me as your king. So which of these events, as you read, draw you most to Jesus Christ as your king? Which events make you accept him as your king, as more than just a savior? Which ones stand out most to you? We want to provide a couple. Of course, you'll find many more in your personal study. I think I'll start with this first because it kind of piggybacks on some ideas that we talked about last time. And that is the power that God, that Jesus Christ had to stop all of this, to stop his own suffering, to to end what he was suffering in Gethsemane and on the cross. Um, and the questions of, like Zach already mentioned, those questions of, are you the king? He kept getting these questions and, or I guess... You know, it's kind of funny when you study the Gospels like this. Sorry, this is a side note. But I think so many people asked him these questions, but it's just because you're studying repeated mm -hmm. versions of someone asking him. But that question, sorry for that side note, the question of, are you the king? Um, and him continuing to get these, um, what would you call them? Doubts. You know, mm -hmm. people, like you're saying, mocking him. Mm -hmm. Um, and then this one in Luke 23, verse 35, the people stood watching and even the leaders were scoffing. He saved others. Let him save himself. If this is God's Messiah, the chosen one, the sol soldiers also mocked him. They came offering him sour wine and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And the piggybacking on, on last week's is that idea of he really could save himself he was there to fulfill to fulfill what he what his father sent him to do and here he is again um doing this not only when people are making fun of him but in extreme pain extreme circumstances and to me um that makes him a king yeah. my king because he suffered he chose to suffer he is someone who could have gotten out of it and people were telling him to if this is who really who you are then then release yourself. But he didn't because of his love for us. 
I learned this week um, how many different how how different the perceptions of Jesus were or the expectations of him were from the Jewish population. And we know this, but he was not expected to be this mortal, beaten, bruised man that suffers for his people. The idea of a suffering God is completely foreign to the people at that time. Their idea of a Messiah is this conquering king. And so, of course, they reject this humble man from Nazareth that claims to be the Messiah and how hard it would have been for him to fill the role he had been given, even though he had power to be something different. He could have come and been exactly what the people expected him to be and won a lot more followers, but that's not what was needed. The plan of salvation needed a mortal Christ to come and atone for and die for sin and for death. And so he filled that role willingly. Um, I'm looking at Mark 15, this line, um, when Jesus is brought before the people um, alongside the thief Barabbas, and um, this scene is one of those that I view every time I think of this, this last day, the one that is kind of emblazoned in my mind, um, especially because I know that the word Barabbas literally just means son of a father. Um, there's been a lot of discussion on who this individual is. Was his name actually Barabbas, which it could have been. He could have been so poor um, that he wasn't really given a name. Someone just said, there's a son of a father, let's call him Barabbas. Uh, there have been some that have said that this Barabbas is a title that Mark puts in and that the other authors borrow to symbolize this could be any son or daughter of a father. In other words, whatever his name was isn't important. The idea is that you see yourself as this thief, this man who is guilty and who stands alongside this Jesus who isn't guilty. Um, verse 7 in Mark 15, there was one named Barabbas which lay bound with them that had made insurrection with him, who had committed murder in the insurrection. Here am I, bound because of my sins and because of my mistakes, standing alongside Jesus, who is completely free or could be, and yet he chooses to go through what you're saying because so that I can be freed. The son, the capital S son of the capital F father, suffers for me, the lowercase s son of a lowercase f father. He suffers so that I can go free. I love that idea and that is one of the things that makes him my king. You know, that scripture that you read in Third Nephi, um, talking about Jesus, talking about his mission, that he'll be lifted up. Um, and for this cause, this is verse 15 in Third Nephi 27, and for this cause I have been lifted up, therefore according to the power of the Father, I will draw all men unto me. I love that thought, especially in, in matching it with... Um, who Barabbas represents, um, that we are lifted up um, by the Savior because he was lifted up. Well, even earlier in that verse, maybe I should have just read the whole verse to begin with, yeah. starting in verse 14. My father sent me that I might be lifted up upon the cross. And after that I've been lifted up on the cross, that I might draw all men unto me, that as I have been lifted up by men, even so should men be lifted up by the Father to stand before me to be judge of their works. For this cause I have been lifted up. It's almost, well, it is a chiasmus in these two verses 
where the, the first and the last idea is that Jesus Christ was lifted up so that that central idea can take place so that he has the power to lift us up. In other words, it should have been Barabbas that was crucified and it wasn't, it was Jesus. It should be Jesus that's going to heaven and he will, but he's going to take all of us with him. And so he was lifted up so that he can lift us up. That's another point that Sister Strathern makes um, is that that metaphor of being lifted up because Christ was lifted up on the cross is a symbol of God's great love for us as he lifts up, Mm -hmm. lifts us up. And I like that in kind of going back to that study, the study or the study, oh, the doctrinal study is what Mm -hmm. we're doing, um, that he is there to lift us up. And again, it is the symbol from the Book of Mormon here that's referring back to the cross and what that again can mean to us and our faith. Yeah. The second one that I found that I really liked, um, again, events that draw me to the Savior as my King, is this moment when he's on the cross in John 19, where he looks at his mother, Mary, standing next to John, the disciple, and he says to John, behold thy mother, and then says to Mary, behold thy son. In other words, I'm no longer here to take care of my mother. John, will you please take care of her now? Um, You are family. And I've always loved the idea that Jesus Christ, even on the cross, is looking out for his family, for those that he loves, that he wants to make sure that they're physically taken care of. However, as I was reading in preparation for this episode, I came across this verse uh, and another one in John. This is Mark 3. Uh, You'll remember the scene where um, Jesus is teaching and someone comes to him and says, your mother and your brothers are outside. And he says, this is verse 33, who is my mother or my brethren? And he looked round about on them, which sat about him and said, behold, my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of God, the same as my brother and my sister and my mother. Um, In John 14, he says in verse 14, ye are my friends, if you do whatsoever I command you. In both places, he makes the statement that you belong to my family, if you are willing to listen to what I'm teaching and to obey and follow it. And so as he's on the cross and he looks down and is taking care of his mother and his and his disciple, his friend, I think we can put ourselves in the position of Mary or in the position of John. And again, we're looking at Jesus and he's looking down on us. And from the cross, his primary concern is our care and nourishment because we are his family. Um, he owns us because of his atonement. And we belong to him because of our obedience. And so that moment draws me to him, that I know that I belong to his family and that he cares about me and that he wants me to be taken care of. And another element of that he he suffered all of this for you, for all of us. Yeah. We read in the end of John 19, when Christ says, It is finished, then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. After that, the soldiers were told that they needed to go through and break the bones, but Jesus didn't have his bones broken because he was already already dead. Um, but they did pierce his side. And then the scripture, John, in this case, he, he says, For these things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. 
not one of his bones will be broken. Also, another scripture says they will look at the one they pierced. Now, I noticed these this time. Um, and again, I'm going to reference <laughs> Sister Strathern's talk. But the wounds play a significant part um, in Christ's resurrection in our church. All of the, the Christus statues that we, that we have, um, Christ appears and we, he is recognized by the wounds. Um, and I find it interesting that specifically the Old Testament is prophesying that not his bones will be broken, but he will have, have one pierce on his side. Um, so one of the things that Sister Strathern mentioned on um, the importance of the cross is she says the signs of the crucifixion were so important for Christ that he kept them even after he received a glorified resurrected body. And I think this is significant too. In third Nephi, when he appears, what do they do first? They touch the wounds in his hands to recognize who the savior is. And again, honoring, um, the suffering that he did for us on the cross and that he still has these signs present. And that's something that we, we honor too. There's a great verse in Isaiah 49 verse 16, where Isaiah speaking messianically says in place of the savior, behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Um, again, symbolic of him allowing those scars to remain so that um, that symbol of his love and his sacrifice is always present um, for us and also for him. Um, there's no way that he will ever forget his suffering on our behalf um, because of the spiritual uh, importance it is for us, but also because of the physical scars in his hand. It's always there. And maybe that's another sign of him being a true king um, is that he isn't the king that they were expecting from these prophecies, but that he is an unexpected king who who suffered and died for each one of us. And so he is our king in a much more important and wonderful way. You guys, thank you for studying with us today. We're so grateful for all of your comments, all of your reviews, and the kind things that you um, are saying, but mostly that the community that we get to kind of create together as we study through these scriptures. I don't think there's a better way to um, be together than in God's word together. Yeah. Um, and so we're just grateful for that. We do um, a lot of posting on, or we try to do some posting on Instagram that you can find us where we share a lot of the resources that we study here and some other insights so follow us there if you would like to kind of share your thoughts there as well you can find us at the scripture study project and also all of the talks that we reference or the things we talk about our show notes a lot um, and those you can find on your podcast app and also on our website that is linked in our instagram profile. So find us there. Thank you so much. We hope you have a great week.